joining us from home, uh, feel free to look up the scripture. Um, if you have your own Bible or Bible app. But it, it will also be projected on the screen. It's kind of small, though, depending on if you're like watching this on your phone or something. So you might want to look it up for yourself. Again, it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And uh, we're going to ask if you're here in person or if you feel comfortable doing this at home, if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's message, uh, we are focused on this question, how to make a disciple. I think in life, there are these things that we talk about, that we say. I think there's definitely things in the church like this that just sound good, right? Like we know that you're supposed to do this. You know, the passage that we just read, uh, at least in Matthew, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. And it's kind of a big deal. We call it the Great Commission, right? Everybody knows that this is important. And in many churches, including ours, it is like the central mission of the church, to make disciples. And so again, uh, something that sounds good, but friends, I, I wonder if there are things like this in life, you know? Maybe there's some other things. I, maybe it's not on the same level, but like when people are like, yeah, I want to get healthy or something like that, you know? I want to have good relationships with, with all of my family and friends who I've been estranged with, you know, who I, I've been in conflict with. Like, yeah, it sounds great, you know? All of that sounds great. But how? How? That's, that's the operative question, right? How do we actually do this? You know, and so th- this is the, the gift that is running here. Uh, this question, <laughs> this urgency of, of asking Tell me how. How do we actually do this? You know, and maybe for uh, a lot of us in the church, you know, we just assume that we're supposed to make disciples. And we've assumed that evangelism and discipleship are the same thing. You just tell people about Jesus, they're automatically going to be disciples. But friends, I don't think that's always the case. For one, I think we have to understand what a disciple is, first and foremost. So a disciple, uh, in the most, uh, I guess, basic form is a student, right? But it's kind of more than that, because when you think student, it's like, well, I mean, obviously, we're all students, right? We all go to school. It doesn't mean you're going to learn, right? And Dallas Willard and others have pointed out that probably a better translation for, for disciple like than student is apprentice. So you guys know what an apprentice is? An apprentice is somebody who learns from their master how to do what the master is doing right? So if you're a blacksmith and you're making things out of metal, right? And the apprentice, they may not know how to do that, but they're going to watch the master, right? And they're going to be taught by the master exactly how to do that. And so the, the, the whole thing is that you are supposed to be like the master. This is why Christians 
Christ is in our name, right? We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to be little Christ in this world. We're supposed to act like Christ. We're supposed to have the character of Christ. We're supposed to do the things that Christ wanted us to do, right? And so then it's the question. I mean, look around you, friends. I I wonder if the Christians who bear the name of Christ actually look like Christ. So I found this little cartoon. I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, You are a believer, yes. So this is someone like, like... meeting uh, St. Peter right before they go into heaven. You were a believer, yes, but you skipped the not being a jerk about it part. You know, and, and I, I, there has been people who have wondered, why are today's Christians so unchristlike? And And so, friends, I know, obviously, we are supposed to be learning and growing, and no one's perfect, you know, but I think sometimes we use that as an excuse to not progress, So it's true that in the beginning, an apprentice is not going to look anything like the master, but they're supposed to learn. So uh, this past week, uh, past couple weeks, really, I've been kind of preparing for this show that just came out, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's a Star Wars thing. I don't know if you guys like Star Wars. Maybe some of you (laughs) aren't that familiar. But Obi-Wan Kenobi is this very classic character in Star Wars, right? He's a Jedi, right? He's a master, you know, but what, what I loved about watching the first few movies is that he didn't start that way, right? And so if you watch the movies in order, you see Obi-Wan Kenobi start as this very green apprentice. In the Star Wars world, they're called Padawans, right? And he's got this master, Qui-Gon Jinn. I don't know how George Lucas came up with these names. But uh, and in the beginning, you can see like Obi-Wan, he's still like, he still makes mistakes, Right? He, he still, like, has a lot to learn. And so, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn will, like, correct him. He's like, Obi-Wan, be mindful of the Force. Calm down, right? And you see, like, after a while, he starts getting better. In the second movie, he actually takes on his own apprentice, right? And, you know, he's growing in his power and all this stuff. And it's not always smooth sailing. You know, friends, this is another thing that we have to understand as disciples, is as you're growing, you're going to make mistakes, and not to stretch the Star Wars metaphor too far, but yet Obi-Wan ends up having like this huge failure where his apprentice, spoiler alert, ends up becoming someone bad. <laughs> if you guys know the story, right? Uh, it's, it's not a surprise. It happened like however many, 30, 40 years ago, right? So not a surprise anymore. But uh, so in, in the Obi-Wan show, it's about how he's trying to overcome this failure of knowing that he failed his apprentice, right? And, and I suppose, I mean, I only watched the first episode, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but I suppose the show is going to show us how he overcomes that failure and becomes more like the Alec Guinness uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four, the OG uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's like super wise and just... Is, is like really, really advanced in the ways of the force. It's a progression, right? But friends, there should be some notice, right? Some evidence that we are growing, that we are becoming more Christ-like, right? We should see some of that, right? Just like when you saw Obi-Wan Kenobi early on, you're like, okay, this guy makes some mistakes, but I can see the Jedi-ness in him. Can people see the Christ-likeness in us? Or do they look, like, look at us and be like, whoa, you know, it's like these two pictures are completely different. We see Jesus, and then we see Christians. It should not be. We should start seeing the formation of Christ in us. 
But again, the question is, how? Right? I don't want to assume that it's just because we in the church don't want to make disciples. I think a lot of us, we do. Right? I, I do think we get distracted. I think we get distracted by other things. We've made some bad assumptions in the church. One of them is like the one I mentioned. That if you just evangelize people, you just tell people about Jesus, that they're automatically going to become like Christ. And I don't think that's the case, right? We've seen that all around us. But also, friends, I think like a lot of us, we we just maybe don't know how, you know? Um, And so, friends, I want to take a look at this passage because this is the Great Commission. And I think that there are a lot of clues that are just right here. A lot of things that Jesus is telling us very plainly of how we can go about trying to make disciples. So let's take a look again uh, at the, this, this last part of Matthew 28. So the disciples, they go to Galilee, and Jesus had told them to go to this mountain. And so they see him. They worship him. Some of them still have doubts, right? Again, friends, this is just another sign that not everyone's perfect, right? They're not completely formed at this point. And yet Jesus still commissions them to go out and make disciples, Right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. So, friends, you, you got to understand that this is Jesus not just giving them an order, right? But giving them power, right? That's what he's talking about when he talks about all authority. What have we been talking about this whole time? What is Jesus' central message It is about the kingdom of God. The fact that God is in control over all of this. He's got this. Right? And so the idea that Jesus is giving us that authority, we don't need to, like, worry so much. Right? We just got to go and do what he says. Right? And, And let Jesus ultimately, and through the Holy Spirit, ultimately be the one to do the things according to his will. Right? We just have to be obedient, to be in the right place, the right time, uh, right? To, to, to obey what Jesus tells us to do. And what is that? Let's, so go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want to stop right there because this is where we get hung up. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be real with you all. This is where we all get hung up because we read all nations and we go, oh, no, <laughs> I can't do that. All nations, like what? That's just too far of a reach. Friends, I, I, I want us to just think about, like, yeah, there are some people who have been given the gifts and graces to go to other countries, right? And, and, and to just, like, go out there, right? And that's an awesome thing. Not everyone can do that, right? If, if everyone did that, then who would be here, right? Who would be here to raise our families? Who would be here to, to, like, you know, bring Christ to this place. So when it says, go, therefore, to all nations, it's supposed to say, I think, that literally anywhere you go, you can make disciples. Right? Literally anywhere you go, you can make disciples. Right? We need disciples in the U.S. We need the disciple, disciples in Kyrgyzstan. We need disciples in North Korea. In all these different places, you may not be able to go to all those places. So make disciples here and now. Maybe at some point, you know, I don't know, the Holy Spirit will whisper in your ear or in your heart that, he, that you know, God does want you to go somewhere exotic. But until that day comes, if that day is not today, just make disciples here, Right? 
Because this is also included in all nations. So don't worry about that. But I, I do think that a lot of us who are, yeah, we, we just, we want to be obedient. And, and we're like, yeah, let's go, let's go. Okay, Jesus tells us what to do. And we get to the all nations part. And we're already like, ah, well, I've already failed. So let's just ignore the rest, right? But friends, let's not do that, right? Can we all agree? This is included in all nations. You can do it, right? So you're already here. Let's do it. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're going to get into what this is. But I got to say, I just need to acknowledge this, friends, that the way the church has understood this, or actually the way it's become, I don't think it started this way, is it's just meant get people wet, and say the right words, according to Dallas Willard. He's like, it's, it's more than that, right? And, and clearly, I think it's more than that, because I think just getting people wet and making them say the right words doesn't necessarily make them disciples, right? So it's definitely more than that. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, there is some stuff in here that I want to unpack, and I want to show us what this is supposed to be, right? Baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's not in the name of Pastor Steve and LGM and the United Methodist Church, right? It's in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of us have made the mistake of trying to make disciples of a particular church or a particular brand of Christianity or a particular agenda, right? I mean, seriously, if you look at the world today, how many people have taken certain political talking points and said, if you follow these things, then you are of Christ, and if you don't, then you're not. (sighs) What have we done? What have we done? Is that what Jesus is saying? Take certain political talking points that will give one party power. And let's make disciples who do those two things. Mm. No, far be it from us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we aren't the only ones who screwed this up. The Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were people who were trying to get people to do what they wanted, right? They had disciples, But Jesus was very clear. They were not doing it very well. I want to show you guys in Matthew 23 the way Jesus kind of goes after the the Pharisees. And so, friends, you got to hear this in the right spirit, right? Uh, The Pharisees, um, I I know sometimes like we read it and we're like, yeah, bad guys, Jesus, get them. But the Pharisees were the most religious and respected and thought to be the most spiritual people of their time. They were the leaders. They knew the Bible the best. They followed the Bible the best. And Jesus was the harshest on them out of anyone. And so, friends, if you're in the church, and if you're someone like me, somebody who has, you know, religious authority, you know, religious knowledge, then, you know, for me, I have learned to read the the passages about the Pharisees and to say, that is a warning to me. I can definitely become like that. I can definitely have the same kind of pride, the same kind of spiritual blindness that they had. And, and so, friends, let's take a look. Matthew 23. We're, we're not going to read the whole passage. Um, I mean, you could definitely get lost down this rabbit hole. I mean, Jesus, woo, he blasts them, right? He's got them 
on blast. And this is the beginning of that passage. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, right? Which means that they have the authority of Moses to teach people. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. So he says, you know, do what they tell you, right? Like the content of the words, right? The stuff in scripture. Definitely do that. But don't do what they actually do. For they preach, but do not practice. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. What does that mean? A single convert, right? Somebody, a disciple, right? You travel across sea and land to make a single disciple. And friends, I, I can't help but, but just, you know, hear this in, in, in terms of the way that our churches, you know, we, we get really excited for overseas missions or to send people to different countries. And I, got, I think you got to take this warning, right? And it says, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woo! That's some strong language, friends. I, I just... I want to acknowledge that because I don't want to shy away from the warning that Jesus is trying to tell us, right? So, so uh, he says, do what they say, but not what they do, because what they do does not match what they say. There's a disconnect, right? Let's go back real quick. What does Jesus say the way that we are supposed to teach disciples or train disciples? He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? It's different than what the, 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 the Pharisees are doing. Like, okay, so they might say, hey, go do this thing, right? But there's an assumption that is going on, right? When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he's assuming that you yourself are a disciple, that you yourself are doing it. If he didn't assume that, he wouldn't put the, the, the uh, Pharisees on blast the way that he does, right? Because they're not doing what they tell other people to do. Or what they do is they legalistically follow the law, but not the spirit of the law. Jesus is coming to do a new thing. To not just say, hey, don't do these, these few laws. It's like, hey, don't kill someone, don't steal. But don't have the heart where you hate somebody. Don't have the heart of envy and jealousy within you, right? And how do we become like that? Well, Jesus says to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Friends, uh, I do want to, you know, talk about what this means, but, you know, there's three principles that I just want to highlight from this. Uh, in terms of how we make disciples. And the first one is simply um, that we ourselves must become a disciple. You must disciple yourself, right? And, and these things, it's going to start to rub off on other people. Why, Why does it say that uh, the Pharisees make disciples that are twice a child of hell as they are? They're like even worse, um, I think one reason might be, do you remember the passage where Jesus says uh, the, the student is never as great as the teacher or the master? <laughs> yes, yes, remember that? I, I wonder if Jesus is kind of like implying that you're going to be a worse Pharisee, right? You're not, not even going to be like as good as the Pharisee. You're going to be worse, 
Uh, maybe there's some of that, but I think there's something else going on. And, and I want to try to explain this to you guys. Um, so, so this is the thing. Um, parents say this all the time. Uh, it's like kind of become like a meme or a cliche. Parents say to their kids all the time, do as I say, not as I do, right? That's literally what Jesus is telling us not to do when we try to teach people, right? It's not about just saying like, hey, go do these certain things. Because as a parent, you know that you are always teaching your kids, but not just with your words, right? And this is one of the things that I've learned as a parent, is that there's definitely going to be things about my life that are going to rub off on my kids, but I'm not always going to get to control what that is, right? I can't just say, no, 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 just do the good stuff, right? Because I think this is the way it works, is by our human nature, the way that we work is we pay more attention to the negative things, right? And when you are exhibiting fear and anxiety and controlling and all of this stuff, I mean, as a parent to a child, this definitely happens. The child will pick up all of those negative attributes, much more so than the positive ones, right? And the same thing with the Pharisees. That's why Jesus says they become twice a child of hell that you are, right? And so, friends, there's a warning there, right? So what is the warning? If you want to train someone to be a disciple of Jesus, you must be a disciple of Jesus, right? How are you going to actually teach them? Well, think about how Jesus taught his disciples. Did he just have a class like, hey, we're going to have a small group once a week. Uh, We'll have Tuesday night Bible study. That's not how he taught his disciples, right? They followed him everywhere. They ate with him. They went to the market with him. They went with him when he went to work, right? All of the things they did together, right? And we do have some of the teachings of Jesus. We definitely do. But just think about all the other ways that Jesus taught his disciples, right? Like by osmosis, by his life, by his character. When people were assailing him and making fun of him and trying to humiliate him and the graciousness that Jesus exuded, Right? Do you think that helped teach the disciples? I do. I think that taught probably way more than just saying, be gracious, be forgiving. Jesus actually was forgiving. Right? And so, friends, check out what it says, right? So, you, if you want to make a disciple, you got to be a disciple because you can't control what other people are going to consume. Right? Your life is going to teach way more than your words. And when they don't match, we look at those people and we see hypocrites. It's a harsh word now, but Jesus, we think, is unique in using this word. It just used to mean actor, right? Just the way that a person who could be, you know, a completely different person will get on stage and wear a mask and act like someone they're not, right? And these two things are not congruent. Right? And we look at that, and there's a dissonance. There's a fakeness to it that especially when someone's trying to pass it off as the real deal, it, it just doesn't work for us. Right? If someone's doing that in a play, we totally know what it is. I talk about this all the time, that some of my favorite actors play villains. 
Right? You're like, ooh, man, I'm so, like, oh, I hate that person right now. You're such a good actor. I don't hate the actual actor because I know they're faking it, right? I know that going in, that that's not actually who they are. But what happens when someone tries to act like they're loving and kind and good and all these things? And every once in a while, you see a peek behind the mask. Every once in a while, they let it slip. And you see that that's not who they are. It's so dissonant, isn't it? It's like hitting the wrong key at the wrong time. When someone's playing a beautiful piano concerto, you're like, oh, that's, mm. it's fingernails on a chalkboard, right? And that's what the world sees when they see Christians who are acting like they have it all together. And friends, I got to tell you, as a pastor, this is one of the most convicting things to me. I've shared this before, but it's one of the most uh, uh, just... It, 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 like, yeah, does anyone ever say anything to you and it just like sticks in your mind, in your heart? And, and it just like becomes something that it, it just resounds in your spirit. It, it changes you. A, a few years back, this is like maybe like 10 years ago now, I went to this conference and there was a pastor who had been pastoring, kind of like me, in an Asian American setting. And he had been doing it for over 20 years. I'm actually on year... We're almost done with year 18 at OGM. So kind of a similar place to where I am now, but this was about 10 years ago. He said, reflecting on my ministry, I would like to say that I've made a lot of disciples, that our church has produced disciples, right? Just left and right. But I wonder sometimes, you know, he was kind of getting to the end of his ministry, and he was like, I wonder sometimes if all we are is a Pharisee factory. And I was like, Pharisee factory, Pharisee factory, Pharisee factory, Pharisee factory. And just that image, man, I could not get it out of my mind. It's like, whoa, are we a Pharisee factory? Is this the thing? That I think in many ways, you know, my life is going to rub off on other people, right? And if I am not genuinely living this life for Christ, How can I expect other people to? This is why I tell small group leaders all the time at at, at LGM. Because a lot of times they're like, oh, you know, like like I I need to uh, uh, ask the right questions. I need to be funny and witty and like, like I have to have the answers. And I'm like, yo, all that is good, but that is secondary stuff. The most important thing is, I mean, people cannot, you cannot give what you don't have. If you don't have Christ-likeness in your life, it's going to be really hard to give it, right? And by the way, friends, the way you <laughs> avoid being a Pharisee factory is you got to understand, first and foremost, we're all disciples. We're all apprentices. We're all learning, right? I try to be really honest about that. I'm not perfect. I don't try to pretend to be perfect, right? So really, I'm not making you a disciple of Steve Kong. I'm trying to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ, just like me. And I'm making mistakes, too. So I just try to own those mistakes. I just try to tell you, just straight up, I'm not doing it all. I'm not there yet, right? But we got to get there. We got to first learn to be disciples if we have any hope of making disciples, right? I want to point out, um, this is Dallas Willard's paraphrase of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It might give you a little bit of a different flavor for uh, these verses, but also I think we'll point out some of the stuff that we're we're trying to talk about here. Um, 
Dallas Willard uh, says uh, of this, this is his paraphrase, make disciples as you go, submerge them in the Trinitarian reality and train them to do everything that I commanded you. So that word submerge, that's baptism, right? Baptismo means to dunk or submerge in water, right? This is the symbolism. You take someone and you put them in the water. And by the way, uh, some of the symbolism, it's a little grisly. Uh, (laughs) Richard Rohr calls it a drowning ceremony. You go completely into the water and you're not literally drowning them, but this is the symbolism, right? Your old life dies and you come out a different person, right? But The word baptism literally means that you are fully immersed in water. The water is everywhere. What does it mean to be baptized, to be immersed, to be dunked fully into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Again, not just getting wet and saying the words, but you are just surrounded by the reality of the Trinity. Right? The oneness of the Trinity. What, what is all that? Why is it Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Why doesn't it just say baptize in the name of Jesus? That's the way I would have done it. Right? But if you remember that Jesus is always talking about his union with the Father. What the Father does, I do. Right? Where the Father is, I want to be. If the Father is glorified, then I'm glorified. If I'm glorified, he's glorified. All of these things, right? And so we are, he's becoming one in Christ. He's becoming united with Christ. And all of us are supposed to be that as well. We are submerged completely in the reality of Christ, right? And it's got to change you. It must be changing you, right? Throughout your life. It, it may not all be at once, right? Uh, it, it, it might take years, but you are in this reality and you're doing it on purpose. We're doing it intentionally. I got to tell you, friends, we are submerged every day in the reality of this world. And all the messages that the world is telling you, all these really subtle messages, right? Even using your smartphone. I mean, there's like subtle messages that you are learning about, you know, boredom. Like, Like we should never be bored. We always have you know, this, 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 this dopamine hit machine at our fingertips that's always keeping us entertained, you know? That there should never be a moment of silence or quiet. That's one of the ways that you are being discipled by your smartphone. Let's be honest, right? We're be, de- being discipled by capitalism and living in this market economy where everything is just telling you, you need this stuff, you need better stuff in order to have a good life. If you don't have this, Your life is insufficient. You're not good enough, right? You're being discipled by this world. Where does it say, what does Jesus say that? You don't have a big enough house, then I won't love you. You won't be good enough. You won't matter. Jesus never says that. That's our world talking, right? And you're in it all the time. Your world is telling you, you should be afraid, right? The news, I mean, they mean well, I think, most of the time, but... (laughs) I mean, they know that they're selling you fear, right? Most of the headlines are not good headlines. There's no news headlines. Someone joked about this, that the news is never, everything's fine, go back to bed. It's never the news. It's always the worst thing happening in the world, right? And we're being discipled by fear all the time. How can you help people and help yourself to be completely immersed 
in Trinitarian reality. I mean, friends, this is why we sing songs. We listen to that music, right? I mean, we, we let the song sing over us. It's not just because it's like a nice tune, right? But friends, you know, there are some times where I, I'm like, I, I, just for whatever reason, right? In this world, reading scripture, reading anything has become hard. <laughs> like, like it, it's, I, I, I don't, this is just the world we live in, where we, we don't want to read books anymore. And so you got to understand that reading the Bible actually was not the way that people got the scripture back in the day. There, there were no books, right? It was spoken. And, and if you were in a situation where you went to synagogue or you went to a church once a week and you heard the scripture, man, you would hold on to that. And then you would replay it in your mind. You would meditate on it, right? The, the, the word that's used, uh, it, it's probably better translated as ruminate, which is the same word we use for cows chewing the cud, just Over and over and over again, people would be walking to the market or to their job because that's what they did back then. They didn't have cars. They didn't get there in five minutes. It might take them two hours. And while they're walking, they would just keep repeating in their mind, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Just it all the time in your mind. Uh, uh, be worried, be worried. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like, like, uh, is that test coming up? Oh my gosh, am I late? Uh, uh, does that person not like me? Am I, am I not good enough? Uh, I didn't get into that school. Uh, 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 uh. We're being discipled by that. You're just surrounded by it all the time, Right? Friends, I got to tell you, unfortunately, we have heard a version of Christianity that has made it just so hard, right? Like reading the Bible, like, read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you're a bad Christian. It's not what it's about, friends. It's about being immersed in Trinitarian reality. Can you bring those things into your mind? One of the most powerful practices that you can do is scripture memorization. But friends, if you memorize scripture, I got to tell you, don't do it to impress anyone. Don't do it because it makes you some kind of super Christian, right? But do it because you want that scripture in your heart, in your mind, all the time. Because you want to marinate in it. You want to soak in it. You want that to be part of who you are. And friends, by the way, where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is everywhere. But the difference between, like, you know, soaking in water, when you go in water, you're just in the water, right? And by the way, the Holy Spirit is all around you. But when you're in the water, you can't help but get wet, right? But the thing for Christians, and, and, and you see this in baptism, right? You don't get baptized by accident. It's intentional. Someone takes you, and they dunk you into the river. You've got to go beneath the waters, right? It's got to be your choice. You have to agree with what that person is doing. If you're fighting them, right, then that's called drowning, right? That's assault. That's not baptism, right? But if you agree to that, you're going into the waters willingly, and you're being immersed willingly, right? And we have to make that choice. We have to be intentional about our discipleship, to be immersed in the reality of God. You've got to want it, Right? It's one of the things that we talk about. Uh, I, I've, I've gotten in debates with people about Holy Spirit language. 
Uh, have you heard songs where people talk about like, like praying for the Holy Spirit and they're like, come Holy Spirit. And I've had people get mad at me and they're like, Pastor Steve, that's bad theology. Holy Spirit doesn't need to come. Holy Spirit's here. I'm like, okay, cool, dude. That's awesome, right? Holy Spirit's all around us. But that doesn't mean you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. There's a difference, right? And so to get around the, the kind of theological hurdle and just like Holy Spirit's here, but you're not experiencing it, what we say is the manifest Holy Spirit. Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit now? Now. Yes, it's all around you. But when you are listening to all the messages of the world, when you're letting the spirits of fear lead you, then you're clearly not being led by the Holy Spirit. We've got to pause all that. We've got to hear different messages. That's why we try to inject ourselves with Scripture and the words of God and all of these, this encouragement. And sometimes, man, you just need a detox. This is what I do in prayer, friends. The, the, the most important thing I do in prayer is I'm just silent. I'm just silent. Just let all of the garbage that have accumulated throughout the day, throughout the week, just fall away, right? Don't pay attention to it. It's going to try to come up when you pray. But just when I'm praying, I'm just, I don't pay attention to it. I don't believe it. It's like, Steve, come on, come on, let's worry. Come on, come on, we got to do something. And I just say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. We need to immerse ourselves in Trinitarian reality. The third thing we need to do is to train to do everything Jesus taught us. I know this seems difficult, but this is about coming into alignment with the life of Christ, right? So this is how we're different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees are just about getting knowledge, and once they get the knowledge, they tell other people to do things. And unfortunately, somehow, some way, I don't know how this happened, but it's also happened in the church. Our church, especially in the West, we become so heady. It's all about knowledge. Do you know enough Bible? Do you have the right theology? Do you have these right beliefs? Now teach them to other people. And you get so many proud Christians. You get so many just like like proud, not humble at all, judgy, right? People who think they're better than other people, right? And, and it's all because we have this knowledge, it puffs us up, just like Jesus says, or just like it says in Scripture. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love is about action, friends. Love is about what you actually do. Have you tried to actually love people the way that Jesus loved us? Because if you have, it'll break you. <laughs> You'll realize that you don't know how to do it. You guys remember the, the, the story with Peter walking on the water, right? It, like, like, I've told this before, but the reason why Peter tries to walk on the water is because he knows he's an apprentice of Jesus. If Jesus can walk on the water, then he wants to try to walk on the water. And what happens? He falls. He fails. So what? So what? Do you think that disqualifies him from being an apprentice? Right? Like, think about any apprentice, you know, Jedi, <laughs> blacksmith, you know, whatever the case is, you think that they, they get like a perfect piece of metal every single time, like the first moment they do it? No, they screw up. They make mistakes, right? The first time the potter, the apprentice potter tries to make a clay, man, uh, like a clay pot, that pot is lumpy. It's terrible. It maybe crumbles, right? 
But how many of us have learned, right, have been taught, have been trained to do everything that Jesus taught us, even when we fail, because you will fail, right? You will fall short. Unfortunately, we built kind of a one-way conversation in our churches. You got a guy like me talking to people like you, telling you what to do. And I act like I got it all together. And you better get it all together too. So go, go and do it, right? And then you go and fail. And you're just like, oh man, this feels so bad. And you never want to do it again. But that's not the way apprentice relationships work. You go to the master and you're like, master, I screwed up. My pot is terrible. <laughs> what did I do wrong? And maybe the master isn't there. Maybe you're being discipled, you know, through a textbook. And then you go to the textbook and you find out, like, oh, okay, this is what I did wrong. Oh, oh, right. So when I was forgiving that person, I was expecting them to forgive me instead of me forgiving the way that Christ forgives unconditionally, not expecting anything to return. Oh, I expected that I would only need to forgive someone who wrongs me once, but Jesus says 70 times 7 I need to forgive them, right? we got to learn. we got to grow. This is why we need churches. Churches are not supposed to be just temples where we just worship God, right? Friends, I know that's going to sound weird, right? You're like, Pastor Steve, that's blasphemy. But stick with me for a moment, right? Churches in terms of the people. Do you guys know what church means? Ecclesia. It's gathering of people, right? Temple... That was in Jerusalem, right? There's only one temple, right? Instead, you had synagogues. You know what synagogues were? That's where they trained people. That's where they were training them, right? To, to know the Torah and to do the Torah and all these kinds of things, right? We've inherited from, you know, not to make too fine a point of it, but like from the Greek and Roman, right? Like the church, basilicas became churches, Right? And they became houses of worship and nothing more. Not training, just places where we would, would meet the divine God who's way up there and try to appease them with our sacrifices. And maybe they weren't sacrifices of animals, but our sacrifices of praise. Right? And friends, I'm not telling you that we don't worship at church. Of course we worship at church. But it was supposed to be a gathering place. It's supposed to be a place where we are doing life together. Look at the early church, Right? Yes, they would go to the temple and they would worship God, but then they would meet in their homes and they would break bread together and they would listen to the disciples' teaching together and they would do this life together. This is what we need, friends. In our small groups, right, are you sharing your life? Are you sharing your failures, right? Or are you just sharing the good stuff? Hey, how are you doing? Praise the Lord, doing great. Or are you like, yo, man, I, I try to love this person. I try to forgive them, but I, I, know, I know what the right answer is, but man, it hurts. And maybe someone can, can encourage you with some scripture. Or maybe that person can pray for you. Or maybe that person can let you know you're not alone. Yeah, me too. I'm trying too. You know, brother, sister, let's do it together. This is what church should be, right? We are learning, training to do everything Jesus taught us. Friends, uh, I just want to end with uh, the picture of baptism, you know, and, and just this idea that we go into the water and we come out a different person. But the truth is that as we come out, we are supposed to be in this world where you are immersed in the Spirit. 
I mean, you are immersed in the Spirit. The Spirit is all around you. Notice what Jesus says as he wraps up this passage. I am with you to the very end of the age. I am always with you. This is Jesus' word to us. You are never alone. That gracious Father who loves you unconditionally, from the first moment that you approached God and you were in all of your sin, all of your imperfection, and he still loved you, that God is all around you all the time, giving you the resources of heaven, the Holy Spirit, his encouragement, his presence, and trying to send to you a people that can also be with you, right? We're not alone in this. It's a beautiful journey, right? I, I, I got to tell you, friends, I, I just, just want to ask you, how does it feel when you're just surrounded in this world and you're listening to the messages of this world? You're being discipled by a world that's trying to teach you to be afraid. Where does it get you? What, what, what kind of disciple do we become? Or let's say we become a master. <laughs> you become a Jedi in the ways of this world. Or maybe should I say a Sith? I don't know. <laughs> but, but you just become so worldly. You're just always living in fear, always just trying to impress people, always trying to chase that carrot. You get it, and it gets moved farther and farther and farther and farther. Where is that going to take us? Versus where does Christ want to take us? A life of peace, a life of love, a life that isn't promised to always be like free of sorrow. I mean, we know that, right? We know there's going to be hardship, but that hardship doesn't get inside of you. Look at Jesus, right? They, they could do all this kind of stuff to his body, but inside was peace. Inside was the presence of God. He was genuinely able to love people. He was so free. Do you want that? Do you want that? Let's pray. Praise team, can you guys come up? Friends, I know we've been doing this lately, but I, I just really like this moment where we can just be still. And friends, you know, if, if your mind is chattering at you, there's different messages, messages that are not of God, just, just, you know, you can acknowledge that that's happening, but don't listen to them, don't believe them, don't follow them, right? Just, just let them be, right? You don't need to believe them. But take a moment and just be in this moment that I assure you, this is a good moment. The Holy Spirit is here. You are surrounded. You're surrounded. Let's just take a moment and just be immersed in the Spirit of Christ. You are safe, friends. You are loved so completely. Can you just take a moment to believe that? And maybe, you know, you need to speak that over yourself. Or you can speak words of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be worried. I shall not be anxious. Because you're in control. Because you're leading me. Because you're guiding me. In this moment, I can just be still. Soak in the Holy Spirit. Be reoriented to this world that's trying to make us afraid. Trying to make us walk to the beat of a different drummer. Let's just hear the rhythms of grace. Let's just be in this moment, friends, just for a moment. If you could just indulge me, if you could just 
indulge the Holy Spirit. Just take a moment. Be still. Just be still. You're safe. You are held. We don't need to do anything. You're just loved. You are 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 loved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.